Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about something that is so near and dear to my heart, music, music therapy, and how we can use that during pregnancy, how it has such benefits during the birthing process, as well as postpartum, as well as acknowledging how it can help support postpartum depression. Oh, and bonding with babies, so many uses for music. And as a former performer and singer, it is so near and dear and just something that resonates with me so deeply. So to have this conversation, I have Jamie Bendel. She is a passionate music therapist, musician, and singer-songwriter who believes in supporting the growth and goals of those she works with through the use of creative arts. Jamie completed her master's degree in music theory at New York University and is a licensed creative arts therapist in the state of New York, as well as a board-certified music therapist. And Jamie has trained intensely and extensively in the use of music to support clients along the birth spectrum and through early childhood. And she has some really amazing input and ideas and is so passionate about this topic. I'm incredibly excited for you to hear this conversation. Now, before we take a deep dive into music, just a few things happening at PYC. So we're chugging into late spring, early summer. Things are just going swimmingly at PYC. We're continuing our online classes seven days a week. We have in-studio classes six days a week. We've got prenatal and postnatal and baby and me and so many workshops. We've just added to our on-demand library with a childbirth education class. So much for you to check out and be part of our community. And we've wrapped up our teacher trainings. I kind of think of everything through a school year because I have school-age kids. So we did our early fall, our late fall, our winter, and now our spring teacher training. And we're about to do our online postnatal teacher training. So it's been quite a year. Now, if you are someone that's been listening to this as a yoga teacher, someone excited to get deeper into what we teach, we will be starting up again in September and October with our in-studio, in-person prenatal yoga teacher training. If you are abroad or just can't come to New York, then we're going to have it again in the late fall online and in the winter online and return to in-person again next spring. I can't believe we're even thinking of that. It's already on the website. Renee and I are our amazing general manager. She and I already have it booked out through 2024. So check all that out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. The last thing I just want to offer is an invitation for you to share with me 
uh, maybe a topic I haven't covered, or maybe you want it covered from a different angle, or perhaps a person you think would be a great guest. This podcast, while it is fascinating for me to take a deep dive and study and learn about these different topics, it's really for you, the listener community. So if there's something that you want me to explore and offer you, let me know. You can always reach me at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com. And if you're someone that you think would be a great fit for the podcast, please fill out an application. Let me know because again, it is about bringing you the listener, the support that you are looking for during this time in your life. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Jamie. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited that you reached out to talk about music therapy for pregnancy and birth because I have to tell you, not something I had thought about. I know that as a doula, I've had people use music. When I was pregnant, I used music, but I'm excited mm-hmm. to dive in, especially because you have some data we can talk about. I'm such a geek for evidence-based. So thank you for being on my podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. And honestly, I'm just really, really excited to expose people to this field and how it can sort of play into or impact everything that we do in pregnancy. And I'll share more about that. Yeah. So, okay, before we dive all into that, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and what led you to music therapy. So I am a former singer-songwriter. I moved to New York City, moved moved um, back to New York and sort of hit the ground running, going to open mics and playing music in a few different bands. And I also fell into producing commercial theater and so, and trying to develop shows for Broadway. And so both ended up feeling very stressful. Um, I loved producing theater because you're able to support people's artistic visions, which I think actually plays into why I love music therapy as well. Um, but they were just so exhausting and I was feeling so disconnected from, um, trying to sort of play music professionally. And a friend of mine from high school was, in a music therapy program at NYU. And he introduced me to the program and I really had no idea about the field. And so just felt an immediate connection to it and um, loved this idea that people were using music in a more supportive, clinical, therapeutic way. That's amazing. So are you still performing at all or is that now a thing of your past? Um, so currently a thing of my past, perhaps in the future somewhere, but, um, but it's definitely fallen to the wayside for now in favor of, of music therapy. No, I get that. I was a musical theater performer for many years and then the yoga kept creeping in and creeping in and taking over. So I get that. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, things all sort of weave into each other, which is beautiful. I love that about, about, the profession and also the passion. Yeah. All right. So let's start with what is music therapy and what does, what does a music therapist do? So music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based 
use of music to support a whole variety of goals and um, usually non-musical goals. And there are many different um, domains and realms in which music therapy is practiced. It's actually quite broad. So you might find a music therapist working at a variety of different hospital settings, psychiatric hospitals, um, rehabilitation facilities in schools, which is actually where a lot of my experience was prior to training to support across the birth spectrum um, with incarcerated populations. Um, yeah, so there's, there are just lots of applications of essentially using music to support various goals. Well, can you go deeper into, so like, how do they use music and what are some of the goals? So just as, as a, a short like example, broadly, because, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it, that's what's so interesting. And there are different approaches, like there are neurologic music therapy approaches. There are sort of different camps within the music mm. therapy world. Okay. Um, but in a school-based setting, for example, I'm using music to support connection, to support um, self-awareness, self-expression. Mm. With adults um, in a hospital setting, one might use um one might use music therapy sometimes as a distraction, like maybe a goal is to distract from being in the hospital or um, relaxation, some sort of guided relaxation using live music uh, to support breath. There um, can be lyric writing to sort of explore how you're feeling within a hospital setting. How is the hospitalization um, feeling for you? And I hope that these are kind of giving a little bit yeah, more color. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because yeah, I think and, when I thought of music therapy, yeah. I hadn't really actually, I hadn't taken a deeper dive in my mind. I thought, oh, okay, music for pregnancy and birth. And again, as a doula, I often had people make like playlists of things. And I'm like, okay, I know that when they sing, that releases endorphins and we're getting a nice open throat yeah. to their breathing. Mm -hmm. And then they can relate it to relaxation or happiness. So maybe there's a song that they have, you know, just a really nice relationship to. But I hadn't thought about music therapy as, like you said, connection or, I don't know, as I start to think more about it, I use music. I've told my friends this for a year. I'm like, music, musical theater kept me sane because yeah. whenever there was an emotion that I needed to express, there was always a song that right. I had already written no, and it true. was cathartic to get it out. So I was thinking like, oh, is yes. that music therapy? I mean, and yeah, like I would say in some form, you're using music as a therapeutic tool, which is why I was honestly so excited to have this conversation because so much of, I mean, so many people use music as a resource, but there just may not be awareness of, oh, wow, I'm actually using my own voice as a resource yeah. or I'm using music as a therapeutic resource, even if I'm not, you know, actually engaged in working with a music therapist, like maybe this is, maybe this is something that's really supporting me. And it's, and it also makes the conversation around um, music therapy a little bit tricky because a lot of music therapists also work and co-treat with a variety of other clinicians. So you can use music to support um, everything from gait training uh, in terms of like rehabilitation to um, even crossing the midline of your body. So a lot of occupational therapists and uh, music therapists work together to support um, movement and yeah, and speech language pathologists work um, with music therapists as well. And, and so 
there are a lot of overlaps in clinical specialties and, and ways that music therapy plays into working with so many different populations. And um, another really big thing is just resourcing, like internal resourcing that that can sort of come out through a variety of music therapy interventions. Explain that more. What do you mean by resourcing? So um, it sort of references what I shared about using our own but really tapping into tools that we have internally and that we have through songwriting or through improvising. So just making some music on an instrument that's in front of you with the mm. music therapist and, and recognizing that we have the power to change how we're feeling, to change our mindset, to express ourselves in a different way that's nonverbal as well, because sometimes using words can feel really tricky for people. So yeah, so just kind of understanding a little bit more how we can access all of the power that we have to help reach our own goals. I'm realizing how powerful music therapy could be for everyone from we're going to talk about pregnancy and birth, but I'm also thinking yeah. about, like you said, school age kids and, yeah. and wow. So you kind of blown my mind. I'm thinking about how can I, I use yeah. this for my kids? All right. So let's pull it back to the yeah. topic of yeah. pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yes. my background as someone that sang a lot and performed a lot, I really believed that I should have my kids listen to music in utero. So, um, mm-hmm. I used to stick my earbuds in my pants around my belly. Like, especially if I had those maternity pants, you know, that kind of have like that big, uh, elastic yeah. uh-huh. waistband. So yes. I used that to hold the earbuds and we listened to mainly musicals, mm-hmm. but then I'm like, and then I read something about classical music is good for their brains too. So <laughs> yeah, it, it was that a good idea. And what does music do for babies in utero. So first tell me, was I over, was I damaging my children's ears by having it too no, loud? I okay. Mean, so I'm, so I'm sure no, you know, no, but with that being said, I mean, I love any time I hear that anyone's introducing music to um, their child or their children, whether they're in utero or born and, you know, living, running around the world. Um, but it is really important to kind of understand that when you're putting headphones directly on your belly, you're not fully aware of how your baby is processing that sound. And so just being mindful of the fact that th- it's a direct input to them, they may not be hearing um so clearly everything that you're sharing through the music. Also, um, it could be too loud and it could Mm. be prolonged. So we have to think about the length of time and having those headphones directly on is just, um, it, it can just be a little bit tricky because we really have to be careful with how we're doing that. And so actually having the sound in the room Mm. is even, even if it's not, um, moving through the skin and the, you know, and, and um, your body in what feels like a direct way, there are other benefits. So um, also you as the birthing person or the birthing person is is also getting to have those physiological reactions and mm-hmm. psychological reactions to the music. So that's actually causing major changes that your baby can feel and that your baby is impacted by. So even, you know, yes, like I would, you know, I would caution against direct input into the stomach because of the risk of overstimulation and, you know, maybe in extreme cases, damage, um, 
and that's, I'm not a medical provider. I'm just sharing, trying to share information, but there's really just so many benefits to playing music out loud that it's, it's worth it to go in that direction. And so how does this help? How does it help babies in uterine? So you said, is it calming to them? Is it stimulating or you said it possibly overstimulating? I was remember reading yeah. something like baby Mozart. It's like helps the brain. Yeah. And I was thinking, sure, let's do that. <laughs> I mean, there are so many conversations that are ongoing about the so-called Mozart effect. And I won't, I won't take up the time here because there are really so many amazing things to talk about, but, um, well, you can like, dispel Christian, that myth. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's just complicated because I think interpretations of, of, um, some of the studies that are done are really important. And so making blanket statements of like music is good for your baby or music is not good for your baby is not something that, um, you know, that I'm kind of here to say, I'm, you know, and, and even that music therapist would say, although, um, we can get into more details about how that music is supportive. Mm-hmm. I think like, um, it also comes down to parent preferred music. So that's another really big thing, which Mm -hmm. I'll talk about, um, which I'll definitely talk about in a little bit more detail, but I do want to bring up that keep in mind that hearing doesn't develop until around 14, 15, 16 weeks of pregnancy. It doesn't really start until then. And it nears full development between 20 to 30 weeks. So just kind of throwing those numbers out so that you're at least aware of, of when your baby is going to start to hear. Um, and it's important to have that auditory stimulation. So it is important to have some sort of auditory or auditory input. And so, um, that's beneficial to your child in and of itself. Just having that input can be supportive in terms of building, um, brain development, stimulating brain development, development and building neural responses. So using music, introducing music in utero can actually help babies start to pick up on certain speech sounds and patterns. Also even understanding what language you're using in the home. And that also by just even speaking to your baby, Mm -hmm. that can also be achieved. It can support, uh, this is a really big one, but support a desired state of um, being. So when we're thinking about uh, calming down, relaxing ourselves, we also can pass that experience on to our baby. If we're listening to music that is slower in tempo, is softer, we start to think of a concept called entrainment. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with entrainment. No, yeah, but can you explain that? Yeah. So it's when, um, when different bodies sync up in rhythm and tempo. So if you're listening to a piece of music that's slower and your breathing starts to entrain to that music, so it starts to sync up to that music, then your heart rate will likely slow down and your baby is going to physiologically feel those shifts as well. And then that actually carries through to postpartum. So this kind of idea of entrainment and using music and especially tempo and sound and feel um, to help us achieve a certain desired state. So whether that's a calm and relaxed state or whether it's an excited and joyful state, for example, we may um, need some uplifting music to kind of help us move our bodies. Maybe we're not feeling a hundred percent, but we know that we need to move. Putting on something a little bit more upbeat can also help us entrain to that quicker tempo. Okay. That 
can all um, be really beneficial to introduce during pregnancy because it is something that can be carried through to postpartum. And then decreasing stress hormones. So again, that listening and then that physio- physiological response to listening to a slower tempo music can lower a lot of our processes within our bodies or slow down things happening within our body. And then um, really like womb to world is kind of how I like to think about it. It helps our babies have something that's consistent from their pregnancy that can then play a part, play a role in birth, and then a role once they're out mm. in the world. So that I think is one of the most um, significant rationale reasons for introducing music during pregnancy, because it is something that babies, especially if there's a song that you sing or a song that you play, will recall actually. So research has shown that babies will recall familiar melodies. I think it's until up about six weeks post birth, but obviously longer if you're continuing to play that same music post birth. That could really be nice for bonding. Yeah. So kind of circling back and maybe if you explained it, I might've missed it, but so that whole Mozart thing of like, it's going to help the brain develop, which again was a big thing. And my kids are a little older, they're nine and 11. So maybe this has already been debunked, but that was a big thing around is, are people still, um, adhering to that? Or is that, where does that lie in the whole music for a baby and music therapy world? Yeah. And Thank you for bringing me back to it. But as far as I'm concerned, and and I'm, this is something that, if interested, anyone can look this up. But as far as I'm concerned, there, the evidence of Mozart specifically or classical music is not directly there. I don't think that the correlation is there, and I think that it's more about or at least from the research that I've read, that it's more about preferred music or music in general. Mm. I mean, building, there is absolutely evidence to show that learning an instrument impacts our brain, impacts neuroplasticity. But Mozart specifically, I believe, is debunked. I think there was one study that addressed spatial reasoning, Uh um, but I don't think the direct correlation and causation was there. So I happen to play, yeah. I, I was, I'm not, I, I, while I can respect and appreciate classical music, it's not totally my bag. So I, I, yeah. I justified it that I played a lot of Stephen Sondheim and I'm like, well, those are complicated uh, rhythms that maybe that yeah. will help with the brain. Yeah. I don't know if it did. Yeah. <laughs> right, no, gonna, but I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say about musical theater. It's so emotive. Like that music is so, it's so, um, powerful and, and, has such shifts that yes. I think, I mean, that sounds really interesting. So. <laughs> All right. So someone out there do a study about Sondheim yes, or, and yes. or musicals for baby and neuter. Okay. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd love to start to dip into what role and benefits music can play during the birth process. Okay. We'll be right back. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so let's dive into that. The role and benefits of music during the birth process. So shoot, what do you have for me? Okay, so I mean, it's so myriad, but... um there are many different parts of the birth process. There are many different stages. And so bringing back this idea of entrainment uh, is, is one of the bigger things, I would say. So understanding when it's going to be most helpful to have a, a song with a certain feel, um, and we can and we can kind of start with entrainment and then go from there because there really are many different roles and benefits that music can play. But in terms of entrainment, understanding um, when we might need a piece of music that has a more driving feel, that has a pulse, um, especially you know, for example, and I'm actually really curious to hear if you thought of of it this way or frame this way, but. Um, in early labor, if we if we go back to that, starting in early labor, using music that is familiar, there's less of a need for direct entrainment because mm-hmm. it's more about comfort, um, staying positive, feelings of positivity. So any music that is going to make you feel comfortable, that you're going to enjoy, that um, maybe you want to sing along to, or that is really just going to feel familiar and motivating is a great way to kind of start. And moving from there into, um, music that has a little bit more, um, support, I guess, throughout the different stages of labor from tempo, whether it's, Knowing that you need to move in early labor and thinking about what music is going to help support my movement Mm -hmm. and maybe having um, a little bit of like a three, four or a rocking movement that might be helpful to entrain to a um, a feel to the music or a tempo that's going to encourage some sort of music. You can also use that as a way to sort of shift positions. So you can use a change in the music to help or a change in the feel of the music to help encourage maybe getting into a different position. Mm. And then even thinking about as labor progresses, that sort of, um, during the transitional phase of labor, perhaps you want something that um, provides opportunity for imagery and that maybe is a little bit more open. And then um, during actually actually pushing, you may want to, or you know, um, you may want to have something that has more of that driving pulse mm-hmm. or something that at least 
can kind of keep you focused on pushing. Yeah, I had a, I've had music with my, when I was an active doula, I had people often use music. And I remember one woman in particular had some really strong drum beats for the pushing yeah. stage. Like she had made a, she'd put a lot of effort into this and it was very focused, very, um, drum beat oriented. And she really, like, I could see in her face that it helped her focus. It helped her kind of block out, I think, all the extraneous people in the room and really kind of rev her up and kind of, you know, cause music does have that power of manipulating energy right. and right. it, yeah. you know, it can either drive it up, it can help pull it back. And she really used it to her advantage too. It was so the whole experience felt very guttural, like just low, deep drum beats that like you can imagine dancing just like really grounded. It was, it was pretty amazing to see. I mean, it's cool that you're bringing that up as well, because that low, like any sort of lower tone and especially, um, and I was going to kind of talk about, um, another role and benefit that music can play is in, um, actually vocalizing. Yes. So using lower tones and then, um, of course, like a pelvic floor physical therapy physical therapist could speak more to this, but, um, knowing that there's a connection between yep. your pelvic floor and your vocal cords and using those lower tones oh, can absolutely. be incredibly supportive at relaxing the, the pelvic floor. Yeah. I call it so, open throat, open vagina. Yeah. That when you yeah. have softness a, in the throat, it really does relax the pelvic floor. I've been saying that for years as a former singer, that was something that my voice teacher brought to my attention. Same. Yeah. Same. And I, I, at the time was like, why are you telling me this? And now, um, having a child of my own and actually using like vocal toning was such a big part of my Me too. labor that, um, I, I'm, I now I get it firsthand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's all. It's interesting that you say that for that exact reason that relaxing the pelvic floor can be supported by that, those lower tones. And then on the um, other side, people can yeah. notice, are their sounds really tight? And if so, what's happening to the right. pelvic floor, it's responding and <laughs> engaging up. So yeah, those open, big sounds. So important. Yeah, and there, yeah, there's also a little bit of a diagnostic mechanism in there that we can all do to kind of say, um, even just pre, like um, during pregnancy, to kind of even check in and say, um, how comfortable am I with making those higher sounds, those lower sounds? Like just kind of bringing awareness to what do I feel most comfortable with, and how could this play out in labor? Like, um, but just yeah, I mean. Lots of things that could be thought about. And I guess even just bringing it back to um, the role and benefits that music can play there, you can use it um, for comfort and support, blocking discomfort, also focusing breathing. So I, I did talk a little bit about that in terms of using certain songs and entrainment to certain tempos and helping uh, I guess, focus breathing through that entrainment and that kind of ongoing rhythm rather mm -hmm. than just not having any sound in the background. Um, but also singing and listening to music can release endorphins, which can decrease pain perception. Um, and then also just knowing, so in, in labor, there's a lot that we cannot control, but being able to create a playlist or to at least think about, okay, like I have a song that I love that I can always sing, or I have my voice. My voice will always be there for me during labor. That's something that I control. Mm -hmm. I, I can control. It's kind of nice to know that you have your own voice. You yeah. have this 
resource within your body that you can always use, and it can follow you wherever you go. So it can follow you whether you're laboring at home, um, in a hospital setting, in a birth center, whether you're in an OR, you know, obviously that might change if you're, um, you know, on an operating table. However, having a playlist that's going to feel like it affords you some level of comfort and familiarity can feel really supportive in in that unfamiliar environment, in that environment where it feels like you might not have control. So that makes total sense. So we were talking, I know that one of the things that you'd brought up that for conversations about the gate theory of mm-hmm. pain management. So is that more or less what you're saying? Cause I know that is like, it's blocking certain receptors. So pain can't go through. Is that where the, the endorphin release perhaps of singing yes. and vibration comes through? Yes. So definitely that is related to, um, the gate theory and even just this idea of having positive stimuli singing, um, it's creating a a strong positive stimuli or listening to that music, um, is definitely moving through those neurotransmitters and is perhaps replacing some of those negative pain inputs, um, or it's impacting that pain cycle and, um, interrupting it. And then also, um, calming your sympathetic nervous system is allowing your body to essentially activate that production of, um, endogenous opioids and, and those hormones that you actually want to feel that are going to benefit you and support you. So it, I think kind of works on multiple levels in that regard. Um, but yeah, acting as, um, positive stimuli is, is important to sort of remember and, um, to think about when using it and how it could decrease pain or even pain perception. I feel like you have given many positive, solid reasons. So people for using music and labor. So I hope listeners that now you're getting excited to make your playlist and possibly even sing along. So let's now shift to postpartum. So let's talk about how music can help with postpartum depression. Yeah. So, um, it's, I, I hesitate a bit because there is, um, moving kind of back to the music therapy world and not Mm -hmm. just thinking about music. There's a lot of research on how music therapy can, um, support alleviation of depression and, um, depression symptoms, but there is not enough research yet on the postpartum population. And I think we're, we're finding that, um, just in general, like there, there needs to be more focus and more attention on, um, the postpartum period and supporting, um, postpartum people. But, um, a lot of what is true for, depression and using music therapy to um, alleviate depression symptoms can also be applied during um, postpartum as well. And so again, moving back to that idea of um, reducing negative emotions and stress, improving sort of physiological symptoms like self-regulation, improving sleep quality, um, increasing satisfaction. A lot of times we feel joy and satisfaction from listening to music, um, and then decreasing pain 
we can think back to some of our, our early conversations on why music does help postpartum or why working with a music therapist one-on-one to understand which specific interventions are going to be most helpful. Is it, um, is it progressive muscle relaxation combined with music? Is it, mm-hmm. um, is it, using a different creative arts therapy modality like drawing to music and then discussing it? Is it lyric analysis? Um, so working directly with a music therapist to kind of uh, really think about the right intervention for symptoms that you're experiencing can be really helpful. I mean, mm-hmm. Um, music therapy is non-invasive and a lot of times it's, it's not, um, there are lower barriers to entry to use music or to consider using music than to consider pharmacological approaches. Um, a lot of people have some hesitation around that, even though it is incredibly important and, um, and so evidence-based, but music therapy can be an additional support that can at least like feel, um, feel easy, easy to move into for many people because it is so, um, germane and natural to us in general. And then also even to our children. So to our babies, it's really important in terms of even thinking about tonality and and melody and how our infants respond to us postpartum. It just, um, it's a very relevant modality for the postpartum period. But, um, but in addition to that, um, it's, it can be used as I, I kind of mentioned this, but music therapy can be used in tandem with other interventions. Mm-hmm. So it can be used in tandem with, um, seeing a therapist. It can be used in tandem with pharmacological approaches. Um, and also another big area that it can help in terms of possibly impacting postpartum depression is in uh, processing birth trauma. Mm-hmm. So whether that's through active music making, um, through improvisation, through songwriting, through lyric analysis, there are many ways to process trauma in the music. Um, Again, also non-verbally and improvisation can, can also, um, can mean non-verbal as well. That might be really helpful and supportive and, um, and then singing. So there have been several studies that have been done on singing and how it actually can lead to a faster improvement and alleviation in symptoms compared to, um, women who didn't, who weren't singing. So this, um, the one, um, the one piece of research that I'm thinking of actually relates to singing with a group Mm. and singing with a group postpartum, um, and the finding that there was faster improvement, um, was it because, again, I'm just kind of shooting from what I understand about vibration could be the endorphins. It could be how it regulates a nervous system. If they're singing in a group, it could be community. I don't know what did all this, of those. All yeah. of those. I, those, I, I, also so I need to, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I keep going. Sorry. Did, I just had something that popped in my head that I'll, I'll hold on to. So you can keep going. No, I, I want to hear. I was just going to say, I, I should look at the, um, at the exact, findings, but, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was likely the interplay of, of all of those, but I'm curious what you were going oh, to share. So I was thinking is that the thing about music is it's so universal is that if we're singing or we're listening or we're moving those that, especially when it comes to birth trauma may not feel ready or able to verbalize with talk therapy mm, yeah. because it might feel so overwhelming to right. express 
like what they're feeling that way. It feels like music is an opportunity to still release without having to say some of those words. I got, I may yeah, be shooting I, in the dark. That just kind no, of was what I, popped in my head. No, I think, I think you're exactly right. And, um, I think that is exactly what I was alluding to. And even thinking about if you have a drum in front of you, how often are we, are we presented with a drum in front of us? Um, no, in not often. Right. <laughs> not and like, you know, and, and even just the act of, of hitting that drum, like there, um, are likely going to be feelings that come up for you, or are you able to hit the drum, and um, are you able to hit it loudly? And and um, you know, and there are different music therapists who have different um, approaches that they use. But what, perhaps, why? Why is it difficult to hit that drum loudly, or what does it feel like for you when you're hitting that drum and creating a loud sound? So there, um, you don't you don't have to process after you make music, and that's one of the nice things about working with different music therapists and finding one that feels like a good fit. But there's also that opportunity to, to have that musical experience and then check in after verbally. So, um, yeah, there's, there's just room for a lot to happen and, um, for it to happen in many different ways and through many different mediums that a traditional, um, talk therapy approach may not actually open up. Um, it's not to say that that's not the most beneficial for some people. It's, I'm just, again, just really wanting to, options. yeah, to provide and complimenting options. one another, yes. like so different modalities can call. I really enjoy that. So how can music help promote bonding with baby? And let's also say birth partner, because sometimes they may feel a little bit left out. Yeah. Um, so Music, using music, um, and using certain music therapy approaches can help, um, can help bring any sort of uh, birth partner into the equation by giving them a little bit of ownership over a way to connect to the baby in utero. So, um, for the pregnant person, the baby is going to naturally know their voice, have that connection that's being built over time, whether or not you are doing something like having a nightly practice of, um, listening to music or, um, or singing. So, making sure that you are bringing any birth partner, if there is a birth birth partner's voice into the equation by allowing them to have their own song that they're singing to baby or building a playlist of their own or choosing a song that is really meaningful to them or to you collectively can help them feel like they are doing something to give their baby a chance to get to know them. Mm -hmm. And so it can be really, um, I think at times isolating to not be the birthing partner. Mm -hmm. And so just knowing that there's a concrete way to say, hi, baby, this is a song that means something to me, or this is an action that I'm taking to show you that I'm here. That again, can be carried through postpartum, can be really supportive to any birth partner and actually also even to siblings. So Mm. I'd love to just quickly throw that in as well. So, um, there are methods that I, um, talk about that are evidence-based sound birthing. Um, there is, a, 
um, a NICU music therapy mm. approach called Rhythm Breath Lullaby that talks about something called the Song of Kin. And so even siblings or a birth partner can create a Song of Kin. And so I think it's helpful for families with multiple children to even bring a sibling into that relationship if if you're open to that and ready for that and allow them to pick a song that they can sing to the baby in utero in utero and um, that they can start to build a relationship to. That so, is so sweet. Just, I yeah, love that yeah. idea. That is so sweet. Oh, wow. Yeah. You've given so much to think about how music can play such an important role, not just like background music, but like really thoughtfully incorporating music into pregnancy and through the birth process. I'm really excited about some of the information you gave about how it helps during the birth process and postpartum. We're going to take another break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, we are back. So you can take this question from being a parent or from being a music therapist, wherever you want to draw your inspiration. Okay, uh... All right. So one final tip or piece of advice that I have is to really think about how you use music in your daily life and consider different ways in which it could be supportive to you. And also to not really hold so much attachment to, um, to whether or not you use that in the birth process and to kind of give yourself all of the resources ahead of time, do the explanation, even, even prenatally to consider some of these things and, and consider it this form of play that's then going to play out for you, even as you play with your child. And, um, yeah, you don't have to hold on to it. Um, so I guess strong, strongly or, or um, like or, preciously. Yeah. Preciously is thank you. That's a, a really great way to state it to, but just to kind of explore yourself, explore your relationship to music a bit, consider how you might want to use it and then, um, let it go during the actual birth and, and know that you can pick right back up, um, postpartum. Oh, great advice. Where can people find your work? So you can find me at the littlest melody I have my Instagram and my website. You can find more about the services that I provide. And I also lead early childhood music groups at, if you're in New York City, at um, Downtown Kids Therapy. And also just um, the American Music Therapy Association is a really great resource resource for research, also for finding a music therapist and sound birthing um, their website as well. You can find a sound birthing music therapist. This is so great. Okay. We will have all that in the show notes. And I just want to thank you. It was such a joy to think about music. It's such a part of my life. It is such a part of my personal emotional therapy that I appreciate you bringing some, some attention to this, this very available usage, you know, music is all around us and we may not even think of how, how impactful it is. So thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me and yeah, for letting me, um, for letting me have this conversation with you. Absolutely. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.